Good morning, church. Glad to see everyone here this morning. Uh, real quick, uh, don't forget, uh, we got uh, our little printouts for our kids over here on the windowsills for uh, the message this morning. And also, uh, you can, we don't forget our, the, uh, somebody asked me about this earlier, the uh, phone line service. If you need the number, I got it right here now. So come see me. And then we got, sorry, this happened, this just got thrown on me. But uh, when we look at uh, this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask your blessings upon uh, this time, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And Lord, even in the midst of what seems like craziness at times, Lord, we know that your grace is sufficient and your uh, love never fails. God, we pray for uh, the service. God, we pray that you would be glorified. And God, as we uh, come together today to worship you as brothers and sisters in Christ, God, we pray for those who may not know you, God, that you would draw them close into your, your hands. God, that you would uh, save them and, Lord, show them how much you love them. And, Lord, we ask your blessings upon this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matt, I understand I like a set of procedures and I like to follow them. Being in church services, though, you better be able to bend. But you did good. Join us this, this time, this, this moment. Let's sing uh, hymn 390. Stand and join us. We're actually going to do two songs back to back. We're going to do uh, 390 and 395. So if you, you like using your hymnals, pull it out, join the choir. Let's sing, ladies. going to skip ahead now to 395. Join us if you're using your hymnals to 395. God of grace and God of glory. And the choir is still standing, so I think they're ready to go. So let's sing, ladies.
missionary moment of the week as we pray for Victor and Lumilia Mora of Massachusetts. It says for many years, for years, many within Boston, Massachusetts, Brazilian population have struggled with work and family relationships. Hopelessness looms as less than 3% of New England's Brazilian population have an active faith in Jesus. As Victor and Lumilia Mora learned more about the needs of the Brazilians, in Boston, God began calling them from their comfortable life and served as a government leader. Says, sorry, their comfortable life in Brazil, where Victor pastored a growing church and Lumilia served as a government lawyer. Although they didn't know or didn't want to leave everything they knew behind, they eventually answered God's call. So let's pray for this ministry in Boston as God is using them to uh, win more Brazilians to Christ. Father, we thank you for this time together, and as we gather together today, God, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters, the Mr. and Mrs. Amora, to you, Father. God, we pray uh, as they are sharing the gospel uh, with the Brazilians, though, in, in Boston, God, we pray you would bless their efforts and the works of their hands for your glory. God, we pray as you have called them out to go from a comfortable place into a place, that, Lord, maybe it seemed uh, completely forward and just indifferent and not sharing where it is you are leading them, God, we pray that as they have now uh, seen the works of your hands, God, we know that you are using them for great and mighty things. God, I pray for those in this room that, God, maybe you call us to do things that are uncomfortable and you call us to places that we would never desire to go. But, Father, you press it upon our hearts to go and to share. God, I pray that if there's those in this room today that you are calling, that you are, you are leaning to, to for them to go, and whether it's overseas or, or somewhere else in the States, God, I pray that they would answer that call faithfully. God, I thank you for the testimony and, and the faithfulness of the believers there in Boston. God, help them in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is where this is supposed to happen. Let's sing happy birthday to somebody that's got a special birthday today. Happy birthday to said earlier, you got to be ready to bend. <laughs> Join us now by standing and let's sing 564, I think. Make me a channel of blessing.
it seem if our lives are not free from known sin we will barriers be and a hindrance to those we are trying to win make me a channel of blessing today make me a channel of blessing i pray my life possessing my service blessing make me a channel of blessing today
Amen. And we have no one to fear when we trust in the Lord Jesus as our Savior. And you're right, Mike, you have to be very flexible this morning. <laughs> so I'm having to be very flexible, too. Uh, you can know, hopefully he's not watching online up there, but taking care of kids, uh, that we were actually going to have a cake in here uh, earlier. That didn't get here in time, so we're going to be doing that at the end when we do our announcements at the end. So Jordan, when we do that, just know that. Uh, and we'll bring them down from uh, Children's Church. Take your Bibles, if you will, though, and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 20. We're just going to begin with verse 1. I've entitled this message this morning, The Mission. The mission. Uh, the reality uh, of the world around us is that there's a world that is suffering uh, in the middle of sin and trials of various kinds, and this world needs to hear the good news of the kingdom. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning for your word and for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can be flexible, Lord, that you uh, want us to be that way, uh, being, uh, Lord, having a plan, but also having that rigid flexibility. And so, Father, I pray that even in our sharing of the gospel, may we go forth to share with others, but, Lord, knowing that the work is in your hands, that you are the one who brings about salvation. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would see some application for our lives uh, through this passage, whether we're here as uh, someone who's never trusted by faith in Christ. Maybe we're watching online. And Father, I pray that you will use this message that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Lord, there are many of us who are here this morning who are already believers. And I just pray that you will show us and lead us, Lord, to see, uh, Lord, what, what your plan is for our lives, what we are to be doing uh, in the meantime until you either blow the trumpet for Jesus to come and take us home to be with him or uh, we take our last dying breath. Father, I pray that uh, in whatever comes, Lord, that we would use whatever days that each one of us has uh, to the best of our ability to bring glory and honor to you in fulfilling the mission that you've laid before us. So bless your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. You know, this world needs to know that Jesus has the authority over sin, over sickness, over cancer, over disease, over natural disasters, and even death itself. And they need to hear the gospel in order to be saved. And so it's incumbent upon us to be sharing the good news. The good news is for everyone, everyone you work with, everybody you live around, every student that you go to school with. Uh, his word is there for each and every one. And so it's for our neighborhoods, it's for the unreached people groups of the world. And we don't just live to celebrate the good news, we live to spread the good news. So it's not just about us getting our own salvation and then saying, whoo, we won, I've got Jesus, I'm going to heaven. We need to be sharing with others that good news. Uh, and so when we do, we have to realize that just like Jesus faced opposition, so will we. And that's what Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 20 is all about. This passage ought to so grip our hearts with the good news of Jesus uh, that, that students would risk their reputations at school, that brothers and sisters in Christ uh, would risk their reputation at work, that the church would be willing to throw aside the fear of man and what man could do to us, that, that every one of us would, would give our lives, even lose them if necessary, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. Because this is, after all, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so this passage lays out for us several principles for the mission that God has before us. First, I want you to see is that they were chosen. They were chosen. We see this in verse 1. Uh, in fact, here, and it's implied in what happens here, after, the, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So there were those who were gathered, those who Jesus had chosen out of all the disciples who were following him. Now, sometimes all we think about are the 12. 
uh, disciples uh, who were very close to him and the three who were in that inner circle uh, of the 12. But there were many others who followed Jesus. Uh, there were actually hundreds who did. And out of those hundreds, Jesus chose 72 to send out two by two. John says it this way in John chapter 15 and verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. And so he chose these just like we've read before. He chose the 12 and he sent the 12 out uh, to go to those who were Jews. We find out that this group has sent uh, throughout Judea to the cities that he was going to, uh, to those people there uh, of Galilee. And just like the disciples, the 12 disciples, uh, they were given power and they were given authority. They were given the power to heal. They were given the power to cast out demons uh, to prove that Jesus was truly the Son of God. They were given that same authority and that same power because they were being sent in his name. Now we're going to see when we get to the point that these 72 come back what they have to say about going out and, and the experience that they had. But they were proclaiming him and proclaiming his message to be true. Uh, they were proving it by the power given to them. So they would, they would proclaim what, who Jesus was, what he had done, and then they would demonstrate in power and authority uh, just as Jesus had given them the power to heal uh, people who were deaf, who were blind, uh, who were lame, uh, even to cast demons out. And so the major thing that the miracles teach us is this, is that God truly loves and cares for us here and now physically. His care isn't just for what's out there in the future and for their spiritual welfare, but his care is for our deliverance in the here and the now. He is our great redeemer. And so the servant's power comes from his master and the believer's authority comes from his Lord. Notice they were also multiplied in number. The, originally, we said there had been the, the 12 that he had called out, but, uh, and Jesus had taught multitudes of people. Uh, you remember that there was 5,000 men plus the women and children uh, that he fed uh, with, with the fishes and the loaves uh, of bread. He, he taught many in the multitudes. But then he also taught to much smaller numbers. Uh, there were those who were very close to him, those three who were in the inner circle of those 12 disciples. Uh, there was Mary, there was Martha, there was Lazarus who he was close to at Bethany. And he taught all things uh, to this small band of disciples. We might say that he taught all that he could to this small group of disciples who were to carry out his life's work. And we ought to be following that same method that Jesus followed, the method of making disciples out of the few that God places in our hearts and in our lives, and, and that they will continue to minister to more, and thereby ministering to many. And so what would happen, think of this, if every one of us who are here this morning as Christians, if, if over our lifetime we just discipled 12 individuals. Now, Jesus' ministry only lasted, or his life only lasted for about 33 years. His ministry was about three, three and a half years. And it was in those 12 he poured himself into, and we see the movement that came out of that. What if we, having lived much longer as believers over the course of our lifetime, were to disciple and to lead 12 people to faith in Christ, and those led more to faith in Christ? What kind of ministry that would carry on and how long it would take to reach the world with the gospel? What a great work that we could see. They were multiplied in number. And then Jesus organized them two by two for ministry. Now, when he called out the, the 12, you'll notice many times he puts the names uh, in the scripture there. You'll see the names of, of two together, James and John. Uh, they were brothers, but you see them together. You'll see multiples of that, of two. Well, in this group, when he sends out the 72, he sends them out two by two. The point is, is that we need each other. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We need someone with whom we can be in fellowship with, someone who we can be in ministry with, and we need to go forward together two by two. We need each other. But I want you to notice some other things, some practical things that he tells them to do that we can apply to our lives too in going to fulfill the mission. Notice the command to pray, the command to pray. Look at verse 2, if you will. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
So there's no doubt that we can look around and see that, that there are many more people around this world who do not have faith in Christ than those who do. And so the work is great. The harvest, even today, is plentiful. But he says, he says the laborers are few. He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So here Jesus mentions a couple of things that, that, have to, that we have to do with an urgency. First is, is that in light of the fact that there are so many people who are separated from God, Notice what Jesus tells us to do. Pray. He says pray. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, uh, well, well, here's the harvest, now you go. He says the very first thing before you ever go, before you ever share with that friend, before you ever share with that family member, before you ever share with that coworker, you need to be praying. Why? Because salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. There's not a single person in here, including myself, who can save anybody. The Holy Spirit does that. Our responsibility and the command from Jesus is for us to go and to tell, to go and to teach others. And, and so he doesn't say, here's the harvest, now go. He says, here's the harvest, now pray. Now, eventually Jesus is going to get to the go part. But first, we have to be on our knees asking and pleading for God to send out workers. That's precisely what we ought to be doing as we seek to send out, uh, to, to send out people regularly into this dark world uh, to proclaim the gospel. We ought to actually pray even for people in the church to, to leave and to go on mission. You know, so often when somebody feels like the Lord is calling them uh, to the mission field, you know what our first response is? Why do you want to go there? Why do you want to go there? Why do you want to go to Africa? Why do you want to go to, to India? Why do you want to go uh, across the United States somewhere else? I mean, there's people that are lost right here. Why do you want to go to those places? And, and so our first response is, why do you want to go? We need to be praying for people to leave the church on mission. God loves to answer prayers like this. Our churches ought to be literally sending bases of laborers for the harvest of souls. No one in the church is to be a spectator. And yet so often that's what we see that we find ourselves doing within the church. We're cheering the pastor on. We're cheering Pastor Matt on. We're cheering other leaders in the church on. But most of us sit and we're spectators cheering on like the football stands uh, in, in the game. Our churches ought to be servants. Many, many believers don't even consider the possibility that God could be calling them to proclaim the gospel somewhere else. Or if they do, they often have this distorted view of what such a call looks like. If you've ever heard of the man named Jim Elliott, uh, he was a missionary martyr to the Aachen Indians of Peru. And he lamented the fact that so few were willing to go on the mission field in his own day. He, he said this, he said, our young men are going into other fields because they don't feel called to the mission field. He said, we don't need a call, we need a kick in the pants. And that was, that was way back in the, in the 50s and, and, and the 40s there. And so as followers of Christ, our very lives should be on the table for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever he says to go, we must go. There's not a one of us who are, who are simply intended as believers to just simply coast through life until we get to heaven. And when we pray, God will send us out in different ways to different places. Uh, I was born in Florida, grew up in Florida most of my life. Grew up 30 minutes from the University of Florida, never could stand the Gators. <laughs> there you go, Amy. <laughs> I didn't like Alabama either, but. <laughs> and God sent me to Tennessee. Back in 96, we moved here. And so I've been in Tennessee at least as long as I was in Florida. We need to be willing to go wherever the Lord sends us to. And, and he sends us to different places in different ways. And he pleads with us to pray to the Lord of the harvest for the goal of spreading his gospel to the whole world. So in order to move out from comfortable Christianity to a more biblical Christ-centered Christianity, I want to suggest a couple of prayers that we ought to be praying. One is this, we ought to be praying, God, give us a supernatural awareness of the condition 
of the lost. In other words, Lord, help me to see the people around me the way you see them. Because so often we look at people around us and we see them and we think, oh, they must be a Christian. They go to church or sometimes they do at least on those special occasions. You go and you talk to people in the neighborhoods. You go and talk to your friends and they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Where do you go to church? Oh, I haven't been in a little while. God, give us a supernatural awareness to see the condition of the lost. We need help to see the way God sees and we need to see it in, in the people right around us, the people we work with, the people we live around, the people who surround us in this world. All of them, every single person around us and, the, and around the world is either going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And so we need to be praying, God, give me a supernatural awareness of the condition of the lost. A second prayer we ought to be praying is this, God Give me a sacrificial obedience to the mission of Christ. Give me a sacrificial obedience that, Lord, I'm willing to lay whatever it is on the line to serve you. You see, obedience to the commission of Christ is the only proper response to those of us who are in Christ. Because the mission requires a great risk, but the reward is more than worth it both for us and for the countless millions who come to know Christ through us. And so as the first part of the mission, we're called to pray. Next, we find that Jesus gets around to that point and calls us to go. Now, you can read some of the other parallel passages uh, about this, these verses here, but uh, as you look at these particular verses here, uh, we find that they, there was a call to go. Notice what verse 3 begins with. He says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out. Now we'll get to that last half in just a moment, but there are several steps in the call to following Christ, to being a disciple in his ministry. There's the discipleship call when Christ calls us to himself uh, to come to know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. So they were called to him first to, to trust in him as the Messiah. But then there was also this commitment call. There were multitudes of people who were following Christ, but Jesus notices an unusual commitment uh, in the 12, but now also in the 72. And so at this point, he called these to go out and to, and to share the gospel, to, to demonstrate his power and uh, his authority through them. And then we see the commissioning call, that Christ commissions them to go forth. And so just like with the 12, they were called to him. They were also called to go to others. You know, Jesus had sent out these to devote all their time to proclaiming the gospel and ministering to the world. Every one of them to be, was to be witnessing for the Lord in, in their work and in, in their other daily activities. And we learned that when Jesus called the 12 to go, he called them first to go to Israel, to the lost ones of his own house. First go to Israel, that is, don't go to the lost world first, but to the lost ones of our own house. That's a principle we need to understand, is because the greatest ministry that any one of us will ever have is your own family. The greatest ministry you'll ever have as a mother and a dad is your children, sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ. The offer of salvation was to go to Israel first, but now is to be offered to the whole world. Uh, but we're to start there at our own house. If we don't love those of our own household, how can we love those whom we don't even know? Then also notice they were called to go to great need. Here in Luke chapter 10, he calls them now to go to the cities where he's going to be going. Those cities throughout Galilee as he's making his way now towards Jerusalem. To go to those who are of the world. Matthew chapter 10 verse 8 tells us that he calls us to go to a most unlikely group. Uh, he calls us to go to the diseased to the dying, to the despised, and to the dirty. Uh, notice verse 8 of Matthew chapter 10. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Jesus says, go to the diseased. Our mission isn't to the healthy, but to the sick, physically and spiritually, but most importantly, spiritually. 
Secondly, we're to go to the dying. Jesus uh, tells the disciples to raise the dead. Third, to go to the despised. In other words, cleanse those who, who have leprosy, those who are considered the unclean, the outcast. And then to go to those uh, who are dirty. In fact, what we see is, is the disciples were commanded to go to the demon-possessed, to, to those people who were tainted by sin. In essence, Jesus told his disciples to go to the people that the world ignored, that the world oppressed. But understand this, when you do that, there will be challenges. And that's what he goes on to say in the rest of verse 3 and following down through verse 12. He says in verse 3 here, he says, be, he said, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Notice the great needs here. When we answer the call to go, the result is that we'll grow in faith because as we go to the needy, we'll learn to trust him for his provision. Uh, verse 4 goes on to say, uh, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road, whatever house you enter first, say peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the labor deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house, uh, he says, what, whatever, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it shall be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Well, Jesus began there in verse 3 saying, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Uh, th that shows the responsibility of the shepherd is to protect the sheep from the wolves. But Jesus, the good shepherd, tells his disciples, I want you to go even where the wolves are. He instructs them to be foolish as sheep. Sheep are sometimes the, some of the most helpless and foolish of, of all the domesticated animals. You know, harmless noises can, can send sheep in, into a frenzy. And when they face danger, they're defenseless. All sheep can do is run. Uh, and, they, and they're really slow. And that's why uh, all sheep can do is, is go wandering into a pack of wolves. And yet Jesus tells us to precisely do that. Go into this world. And it's not going to be easy. And so in these verses, Jesus is telling his disciples, and by implication, he's telling us, go even into the dangerous places where they'll find themselves among evil and terrible people. But when you do, know this, you'll be right where God wants you to be. We often think that if something isn't safe, it couldn't possibly be of God. If it's dangerous, if it's risky, or, or if it may cause us some harm, uh, we, we must not be in God's will. But those are not the criteria by which we determine God's desire for us. As we go like sheep among wolves, people may think, well, you're foolish, you're, you're clueless, but we're actually being obedient. And that's why many times you'll see missionaries who have gone to dangerous places and we wondered, why are you going there? They're following the will of God. Jesus said that as we go to the needy, we'll learn to depend on his presence. If we follow the Lord and the spread of the gospel into the midst of danger, we'll never be alone because he will always be with us. He gives us everything we need to stand, everything we need to speak, everything we need to proclaim the good news. And this is where the presence of the Lord is the most powerful because we live where we do here in a presumptive safety for the most part, compared to the rest of the world. I mean, we're not living in Ukraine where bombs are going off. Uh, we're not living in Afghanistan. Uh, we're not living in the Middle East and in other dangerous places even around the world. Maybe not even where war is, but where it's just a dangerous place uh, to live. Places where uh, you could even lose your life for being a Christian there. And so he says, when you go to danger, when you're a sheep in the midst of wolves, you need his presence and his power more than anything else. There, there would be challenges in going. Uh, they would have needs. They would be betrayed. They would be hated. They, uh, they would be persecuted. And the reality is we, that we have to face is this. The danger of our lives increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship. To Jesus because the closer you get to Jesus the more willing you are to go wherever he wants you to go 
And, and so if you want to avoid being betrayed and, and hated or persecuted, then don't be like Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you're like me, they're going to hate you because they first hated me. You know, we're so prone to sit back and to settle for our religious routines and our <clears throat> comfortable Christianity because it's safe. And the world likes us that way. As long as you keep your Christianity in these walls of the church, don't go out there and share about Jesus. The world likes us that way. But as long as we live our lives just like everybody else, we're going to church on Sunday, we keep our faith to ourselves, you're going to face very little risk in this world. So the question is, do you really want to be like Jesus? Because no, there's a temptation for fear. Uh, notice they would face great fear. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 26 through verse 31, he's speaking to his disciples who he was sending out there. And he was sending out the 12 there. Here he's sending out the 72, but the implication would be the same for them. He says in Matthew 10, verse 26, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, uh, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Three times in those six verses, Jesus says, don't be afraid. We're afraid just to talk to our neighbor much less go around the world. We're afraid to talk to a family member, uh, much less go across uh, the, the state somewhere. You know, fear is a real temptation, particularly when it comes to sharing the gospel. Whether we're in an area of the world where it's illegal to share the gospel, or if we're in an area where, like here where we're free to speak uh, of Jesus, uh, like at our own workplace or our schools. You know, fear is probably one of the biggest obstacles to obeying the mission that Christ has before us. And so we need to know what Jesus says about overcoming fear. How do I overcome that fear so that I would be able to share the gospel more? Well, first, as we face fear, we have to have an eternal perspective. Understand this. We shouldn't be afraid of this world because one day in the future, the sin and the evil of this world, one day all that's going to be exposed and God's justice will prevail. You don't need to vindicate yourself. God will vindicate you. So you live for him. And instead of worrying about what the world says now, we ought to worry about what God will say in eternity. He'll, he'll uncover everything that's true and right on that last day. So give yourself to him and trust God. Then we also need to speak with a holy boldness. Whatever God speaks to us uh, through his word is to be proclaimed, he says, even on the housetops. Uh, we're reminded of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says uh, to let your light shine, uh, let your lamps shine and, and not put them under a basket, uh, not hide the light that he's given to you. We're to let it shine. We're to speak the truth of God everywhere we go. We're to speak it often. We're to speak it clearly. We're to speak it boldly. So in everything we do as a church, if we're ministering to the poor, we're ministering to those who are the down and the outcast, we're to be ministering to share the gospel. Because all that's going to do in ministering to them physically is only going to be for temporary. Sharing the gospel with them is for eternity. And so we need that holy boldness to share with them. The third thing we have to do if we want to follow the Lord in the face of fear is to sacrifice with reckless abandonment. Because Jesus knows that we're going to be tempted to fear others and to be intimidated by what people can do to us. However, it's not man that we need to fear. God is the ultimate judge, and he holds our eternity in his hand. Now, this may sound like a, a strange way to encourage disciples, essentially telling them, don't be afraid of men. The worst they can do is kill you. The only way that can sound comforting is if you realize that you've already died in Christ. 
Paul said this to the Colossian church in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So your focus as a believer needs to be on eternal things so that nothing man can do to you, none of that matters. It's been said that saints, uh, that saints of old feared man so little because they feared God so much. And likewise, when we fear God alone, we can stand boldly in front of the people that we would have previously been afraid to share the gospel with, even those that would take our lives. Because in the end, death for the follower of Christ is actually gain. Isn't that what Paul tells us in Philippians 1.21? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So notice the character of going in these last few verses in verse 13 down through verse 20. We need to trust him completely. Notice what he goes on to say here in verse 13 down through verse 16. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more tolerable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So what that tells us, and especially in that last verse, is when you go and somebody rejects the message you come to bring, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting him. So don't take it personal. It's him that they are ultimately rejecting. So trust him completely. God is going to judge those who don't receive him. Our responsibility is to go, not to save them. Jesus' instructions aren't easy, but thankfully we're not left to fend for ourselves. Fear will tempt us, but the Father will take care of us. And if he's in control, even the smallest sparrow falling to the ground and he knows that, and he sees that, then we can be comforted that he knows us completely. He knows every hair on your head. God knows every detail about your life more than you even know yourself. He loves you deeply, so there's no reason to fear because he's going to take care of you. Another thing we need to do then is to confess him publicly. Trust him completely. Confess him publicly. When you go back to the passage in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and verse 33, he says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. That's great. So if you go and you share about Jesus with others, he says here, he will acknowledge you before his Father who is in heaven. But notice verse 33, But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny him. Before, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. See the consequences there. Jesus talks here about the importance and the cost of identifying with him. To confess means to affirm, to agree, or to identify with. So when we follow Jesus, we don't sit back in silence. We make it known to others that we belong to him. We're not to be a secret Christian. So, so what about you? Do, you do, do people around you know that you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Or do they just assume maybe he does, maybe he doesn't? Are you identifying with Jesus on a daily basis? The way to do that is to confess him publicly in, in your words and in your actions. Live like Jesus. And that leads us to this next point is to love him supremely. He goes on to say this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Whoever loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus tells us to love him more than we love even our own family. Our love for Jesus ought to be superior to our love for a parent or even the love that you have for your husband or your wife. Those loves are temporary, but the relationship with Jesus is eternal. And so if you love Jesus with all of your heart, if you love him supremely, then this next point will just come as an easy step for you to take the ultimate risk. Matthew 10 verse 38 goes on to say, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake We'll find it. 
And so Jesus says that we need to lose our life in order to find it. Pick up your cross, follow Jesus, and surrender to him even to the point of death. The end result is more than worth it because the ultimate reward is what we will find. We'll find the ultimate reward. Notice verse 17 down through verse 20. What is the ultimate reward? Well, here come the 72. They've gone out, they've shared the gospel, they've done many miracles in the name of Jesus, and here they come back to report to Jesus. And verse 17 says that the 72 returned with joy. They're excited, they're joyful, they're thinking, wow, this was so awesome. You ever been on a mission trip? You ever been to share the gospel with other people? It, it always encourages you. You're always excited when you come back and you share with others, and then you wonder why aren't they excited the same way? Because they weren't there. They didn't experience it. Well, these 72 experienced it, and they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And they're thinking, yes, we saw that great power in the miracles, the demonstration there. There was power and authority even over the demons. But then notice what he says in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. Here's what you need to rejoice in, that your names are written in heaven. What a powerful message there. Because Jesus' mission and his commission is not a call to gloom and doom. It's a call to joy and it's a call to satisfaction. And you take the ultimate risk and in the process you'll find the ultimate reward. Contrary to what this world believes, we find our greatest blessing in life in sacrificing the things of this world for the sake of pleasure and safety and security to be found in Christ. And when we live like that, the reward isn't just for us, it's also for those who hear us proclaiming about Jesus. It was great that the demons were subject to his name, but Jesus said the greatest reward that you could ever have is this that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's where I want to close this morning. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If it's not, then that's the first step for you this morning, to trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, to believe in what he did for you, that he lived that perfect sinless life, died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day for you in your place. He's offering you a free gift, and all you have to do is to receive it. But if you're here this morning as a believer and you know your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then the question is, have you answered the call to go? Wherever he says to go, are you willing to go? If that's to your children, if that's to your spouse, if that's to your mother or your father, if that's to your coworker, if that's to a classmate at school, if that's to go somewhere around this nation or even around the world, wherever he says to go, we must go. We're called to go. We have a mission to fulfill. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done for us. And thank you, Lord, for showing us more about this mission, that we are not sharing the gospel and going wherever you may send us on our own. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would uh, hear that call, the still small voice of, of, your, of you and your word in our hearts. And Lord, that we would answer that call with a resounding yes. Lord, here's the blank check. I sign my name on it. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whenever you want me to do it. I'm here to serve you. Father, I pray that there will be many believers who will hear this message and begin to go, even if it's right here at home to begin with. Father, I pray that we'll love the people around us with the love of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray this morning that if there are those who are here who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, may they simply call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on that cross 
I believe he was buried in the tomb and that he arose on the third day and he did all of that for me. Lord, I call upon you to forgive me of my sin, to save me, to come into my life and to help me to live for you all the days of my life. I surrender to you as the Lord of my life. I repent of my sin, I turn away from it and I turn to follow you. So Father, I pray this morning that if there are those who have prayed something like that in their hearts, may they come this morning to publicly profess that faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation, number Stan's got a quick announcement. Good morning. This Saturday is our quarterly men's breakfast. Coach Olive, the athletic director at, at the high school here in Tullahoma, he's also the coach of the 2021 4A state champs. He will be our guest speaker. So if you're available, men, and not doing anything, come out and join us Saturday morning for our men's breakfast at 8 o'clock if you'd like to help cook or prepare the meal, please contact me or Pastor Matt. Come join us for a wonderful time of fellowship. All right, just a few quick others. Uh, buildings and Ground will have a meeting right after church in the conference room. Uh, we do have a deacons meeting today at 4 o'clock. Um, prime timers will meet Tuesday. And then I think there's one last piece. Uh, Mr. Matt, if you come up for me real quick. Oh, that works out even better. So. Um, as you know, the students got to take uh, boxes to the Ronald McDonald House this past week, and I got an email back from them letting them know that uh, the boxes were placed at every room, and especially for one of the moms that was there, their three-year-old who was having uh, neurosurgery neuro was able to take the kit to her son and was able to give it to him as he recovered so that he could have some goodies while he recovered after a hard time. So, Lord, just... Thank you all so much for your support and us being a blessing to those families and as they were able to get those baskets and just feel loved and, and precious as they are, those little children. So thank you. So you know earlier we kind of got thrown a curveball. And as yeah. a baseball fan, you know what a curveball is. That's right. So we had a little change up coming. There you so. go. So let's sing happy birthday. <laughs> One more time. <laughs>
<laughs> but that's why when I was doing announcements, I was like everywhere because he's like, here, take this. I got something I got to do. Bye. I'm like, all right. <laughs> all right. Great day to be in the house of the Lord. If you will, we'll pray and then we'll be dismissed and don't forget to go get your cake. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for being able to come to your house to worship you this morning, Lord, with all these friends and family. Just go with us now and let's just take this message and just apply it to our hearts and be that person in the mission field for you, Lord. Just be that shining light in this dark, dark world. Just thank you for this day and just forgive me when I failed you. Amen. <laughs>